What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Howdy, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Brace for Impact. I'm your host, Nick Jeevis, and trust me, I'm just as shocked as you that we're still on the air. Thank God. And this is a great episode because this is with a guest that I only recently connected with over the last few months. We'd known each other on social media, liked each other's posts back and forth. I liked her style. She seemed also like me to be a Christian, and she had a lot of good energy, I felt. And then, as fate would have it, I ran into her at CPAC while I was covering the political action conference here in Washington. And then she came in to the offices where we work at Just the News, believe it or not, for a separate appointment. So it felt like kismet, felt like fate that we were to line up and talk about life and have her on the show. And her name is Isabella Maria DeLuca. She's a social media influencer with a really big following, and she's an ambassador for Turning Point USA. And I got to say, this is an impressive young woman in more ways than one. We talked about some topics that had real depth And we discussed mostly the pros and cons of an exploding social media market. We discussed how parents are getting more involved in their children's lives, how they need to get more involved. To counterbalance this movement we've seen as of late where certain people in authority think that children should have no limits. Just show them everything, let them make their own decisions at four years old for life-changing moves, and let the chips fall where they may. Not everyone agrees with that. We also dive into Isabella's personal battles that she went through, which surprised me, to say the least. And I have to say I was blown away with how open and honest she was about some of her own struggles, how it affected her mentally, and how we need to protect other young people from the same harmful things that made her feel bad about herself, even if those things don't appear to be harmful from the get-go. Things that are evil, things that are destructive, at least I've found, in my opinion, They don't come to you as something scary or evil or fiery or demon-like. They come to you under the guise of something that's alluring and pretty or feels good or is helpful. And then once you've gotten that initial dopamine boost, you crash. And in some ways, this world, you look out the window, social media and some of the things we talked about in the interview are contributing to that. We also discussed the current case against former President Trump how that may or may not be political persecution, and how it's feeding into these divisive times that we're living. I know I'm only in my early 30s, but I've lived quite an array in the United States from the 90s till now, and I've never seen it this divided, especially after we were so united following 9-11, and then after COVID hit, it just, instead of bringing us together, it seemingly divided us even further. So we touched upon that. But on a happier note, we towards the end, got into how Isabella bounced back from the adversity that she faced. She said it was mostly through faith, family, and reconnecting with people. Despite her social media accounts and despite that that's what she does, she's an influencer, she's a public figure in a lot of ways, she recognized that that alone will isolate you. And there's something deep inside of us, whether you're a believer or not, I think everyone at least one time has looked up to this guy and said, help me, or where are you, or is there someone looking out for me? So the sense that we are not in this alone is not foreign. It's something we talk about in the show, and that even if it's just reconnecting with your friends and family who you can see, who you don't need religious faith to grasp, there are ways out of this current depression that seems to be making its way across the nation specifically in the hearts and minds of our school-age young people. It's a lot to deal with today. I wasn't surprised to hear from Isabella. She's in my age bracket, but she's younger than me, so she's a little closer to people that are still in college or they're young professionals in their 20s. And it seems from where I'm standing that technology and pharmaceuticals and a change in society across the board 
sort of has culminated in this dystopic future that we used to see only on movie screens and televisions back in the 90s and the 2000s. It has arrived. The good news is, however, that there are people who have climbed out of the abyss, like her. And they didn't do it at random. They didn't wish for things to get better, and then it was just made so. They kept the faith in themselves, their families, their mission in front of them, and many turned their anxieties over to a higher power, whatever their belief level was, and to some surprising and amazing results. So let's sit back and take a listen to my new friend Isabella, who is the epitome of that old adage that you never know what's going on underneath the surface. And by her own admission, people on social media especially, they may appear confident and in control and calm. But inside, inside rages a battle of the soul. There's a lack of inner peace. But she found her way home. And I'll close the intro of one of my favorite Ralph Waldo Emerson quotes. He was an American writer and philosopher. But he said something very timely and very fitting, I think, for this episode. And it's that nothing can bring you peace but yourself. Nothing can bring you peace but a triumph of principles. So as much as I may not agree with the fact that nothing can bring you peace but yourself, I like how he says that you have to triumph with your principles. You have to find what's important to you, what matters, and push that in a way that it becomes real. Without that, you're not going to find peace. You're going to be condemned to wallow in things past and obsess about what's coming, and that's not a way to live. So find whatever it is that moves you emotionally, that makes you think of words like soul and meaning And even if it starts out small at first, if you love something enough to strive for it and have faith enough to give your dreams weight and the power of belief, that's a heck of a combo. There's nothing you can't do. So I hope you get as much out of this episode as I did. Enjoy, and we'll come back after to wrap things up with some final thoughts. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome, Isabella. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Thank so happy to be here. Thank you for coming on. We uh, love what you do and, and what you're saying and your style. And how'd you get into this game? I never got to ask you that question. Yeah, so it's interesting. So I was actually a nursing student for two years. I became a certified nursing assistant. I was working at a very great hospital in New York. Um, and I loved it. And for some reason, I just got very pulled into like the politics aspect and this political world. And so my mom was like, why don't you try going for politics? So it was, it was a difficult choice to make because I think at the time, um, nursing was a very solid career path for me. And, um, yeah, I, switch my major to political science. I got involved with Turning Point USA, started posting my opinions online, (laughs) and it just kind of very much took off for me. So here we are. How did you feel when people began to comment on that? Because I'm sure you got a lot of positive comments, but I'm sure you got a lot of negative and insane comments. Yes. I give a lot of credit to people who post their opinions online because (laughs) I would say it definitely for a while, I mean, even so much now, but I think when you are not used to that, it's very difficult to adjust yourself to that kind of environment of getting hated on and getting these horrible DMs. And I mean, these people attack you about everything. So I definitely had a very difficult time with it. And just kind of like, I think from dealing with it for so long, it's kind of become something that I just like don't pay attention to anymore. You're used to it. Yeah. I'm very much used to it. it. Yeah. So when you would go on and post things on Instagram or online or you as a commentator influencer, What's one of the biggest issues that's most important to you right now? What's what you're focusing on? So I think when I first started, I struggled with what exactly I wanted my messaging was going to be. I was kind of a little bit all over the place. I was talking like breaking news, current events. And now my main drive of 
you know, messaging is really geared towards the sexualization of children, gender affirming care, and basically promoting modesty amongst women um, and conservative values and the nuclear family. Now, that's an important issue because it seems like children are so malleable. They're like clay that when they're five, six, seven, they're seeing images that even subconsciously are going to be imprinted on Mm -hmm. their brains forever. Why do you think there's such a push to sexualize children like this on such a huge level? You know, to be honest, I don't really know. And I remember being in seventh grade and being taught like sex ed and we weren't really shown images. And I remember sitting there at, you know, 13, 14 thinking, I think I'm way too young for this. Um, And now what you're seeing is you're seeing, you know, explicit, sexually explicit content being pushed in schools and in libraries. And um, I listened to a woman tell her story how her fifth grader was touring a middle school. And in the middle school library was a massive sign that said, books your parents don't want you to read. Oh, Lord. And obviously to a child, that's like enticing. Like, oh, books your parents don't want you to read. Yeah, exactly. And um, there was obviously books that had sexually, and these are books that I as an adult would not read at all. <laughs> um, I don't really understand the the push towards over-sexualization of children. Um, I think it's definitely a moral issue. I mean, it's even like the drag shows for for kids. It's yeah. like, no, drag shows have been around for forever and nobody's had an issue with it. Um, but now that you're trying to like introduce kids into this like field, it's very like, doesn't make sense. I don't understand the angle. Even my parents who would let me watch uh, more mature movies in the hopes that I would be more mature than my colleagues. Like during the <laughs> sex scenes, I'd cover the eyes. Or I feel you, like you... I still cover my eyes or I like look away. I just like, I don't know. Adults do. It, it, well, it's a squeamish topic and it's just even like you said for adults. So for it to be so rampant mm-hmm. now and, and even kindergarten, we're seeing mm-hmm. them be indoctrinated into this sense that, oh, this is normal. This mm-hmm. is something you should want to be, mm-hmm. not something you should cope with. Mm-hmm. And you had mentioned when we were talking before the show about a particular CDC study that you wanted to get into regarding mm-hmm. youth and this topic. Uh, how do you share a little bit of that? Yeah. So there's a, a recent CDC study that came out um, that showed that one in four female high school students fantasized a serious suicide plan. Three in five female high school students felt persistently sad or hopeless. And this number is 58% higher from when the study initially began in 2011. Mm. Um, And so obviously, I think that I think that the CDC is to blame for a lot of this. I think that lockdowns um, severely affected youth in general, specifically teenage girls. And um, that combined with social media um, and all, all these other things. I mean, it just is like a recipe for disaster. And I think that. Now we're kind of seeing like the aftermath of what lockdown did to children. Do you think it should be encouraged that in addition to the lockdowns, I, mean, I want to get to that, but social media, you, you brought that up. Mm-hmm. Do you think that just like cigarettes, there should be an encouragement that we can't stop you from smoking them when you're a teenager mm-hmm. and we can put a label on it, but they haven't even discussed the negative effects of social media mm-hmm. and how you should be a certain age. Do you think that the brain is not developed as a child to have a Facebook page? How, how do you determine as a society when that is a good, you know, a, a good thing that the child can do. Or yeah. Just- I mean, I fully agree with that. I mean, I think that there's kind of this sort of push that this is how people socialize. People socialize through social media. They socialize through Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok. Mm-hmm. Um, and I even see it. I have a little brother and like, this is predominantly how he socializes. And um, I do think that it's, it's toxic. And I don't think people really address like how toxic it is and what kids are exposed to on social media platforms. I mean, they're exposed to violence, pornography, um, you know, and then you also have like, especially for females and maybe even males, like, you know, these unrealistic body standards for children and it's not healthy. And it was something that even I struggled with, like recently, like seeing all these people on my feed and I had to like get off because it almost like sends you into like a downward spiral of like self-doubt and, you know, feeling not good enough. And so for me, I feel like social media is very toxic. I'm really not on social media that much. I have somebody who manages it. (laughs) Yes, I have somebody who manages it. It's just for me, I cannot be on it that much. Even me, I I feel the same way. I wasn't on it even in my younger years. But I remember deleting my Facebook was a big deal. My Mm -hmm. hand shook a little bit. I was like, well, (laughs) am I going to be still have my friends? Am I going to be able to access my photos? Mm -hmm. Like, am I going to be able to live? I'm fine. I only have Twitter. And like you said, I have people help me sometimes with it. But 
I guess my question is, do you think there's a nefarious nature to this? Is this on purpose? Is this just the effect of a changing world of technology, of things progressing, and it just happens to be negative? Or is this on purpose? Are children being exposed to social media, to pornography, to transgender issues, to fit mm -hmm. an agenda? I don't think that social media in itself is nefarious, but I do think that the content that is promoted on social media is nefarious. I mean, you, I sometimes like I'll even just scroll through my Twitter and like some of these ads that are like being promoted and like some of the like Nick Teen Choice Awards, like some of these people that they promote for even the music choice. It's like, who's promoting these people? Like these people are like Satan worshipers yep. and they're putting on these like demonic performances. And it's like these, this is how like they slowly start like indoctrinating children and like making it seem like it's normal. Um, I mean, I remember even I didn't watch the, the music choice awards or whatever it's called. Me neither. Yeah, Probably. whatever they call it. <laughs> and um, I saw like an ad or something and like I just like don't understand like the glorification of hell, the push of pornography. And the other thing is I was watching TV the other day, which I don't do too often. And um, a lot of even like the ads and like the TV shows are very like pornographic in nature. I think people have just like become so desensitized to it that they don't even like realize. So, that yeah, I mean, it's like breathing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's what they're trying to do. And I think that is dangerous in and of itself. At least speaking in this city, in this area, your type of uh, woman that you are, it's rare. I'm yeah. not going to lie. It's <laughs> rare to say you want a family. It's rare to say I don't really watch TV that often. It's rare to say I don't go on social media. Is that a matter of faith? Did that come from your parents? Are you a woman of faith? What, what, yeah. what, came, what plays into that that allows you to stand out in that way? I mean, I grew up in a Christian conservative household and obviously like as you grow, you grow into your faith on your own and you make your own personal decisions. And so, yeah, I mean, I would say more recently I have grown very much into my faith and I got saved recently and I feel like that's really impacted like all areas of my life. Um, you know, I think that um, many people are kind of lost and I think they are trying to fill themselves fill this God-shaped hole that they have with like all these different things. And for some people, it's social media. For some other people, it's money or food or drugs. whatever. Drugs, like literally anything that you put above God. And so that's kind of how I felt like I was. And so once I became saved, I felt like very fulfilled. And so I didn't look to social media for things. I didn't seek fulfillment from like friends. I think I have like two friends and I'm honestly like completely fine um, <laughs> with that. But I feel very grounded in my faith and I feel very secure with that. Well, you have three now and uh, my buddy Nephi. So, yeah, you have two <laughs> we'll just add it studio. to the list. Yeah, you got four now, so at least. So that's at least you got that. But can you tell me a little more about that, about being saved? Was there a person? Was there a Bible verse? Was there a movie? Was there a feeling, an event? What moved you? Yeah. So when I was 12, I was sent to a private Christian school in Long Island, Smithtown Christian School, and I probably had the worst year of my life. Um, I was severely bullied. I was depressed and, um, I've had a lot, I've had to deal with that for like carrying on for years after that. And, um, I did attempt suicide very seriously a few times that year. So and sorry. it was something that I struggled with after. And I kind of, I was Christian obviously at that time. Um, but the way that I looked at it was, okay, well, if these things are happening to me and I believe in God, then I really like am not interested in a relationship with Christ at all. So I actually became a little bit of an atheist for a while. I didn't believe in God. I turned away from that. Um, and I struggled with that for a very long time. And um, I would, yeah, I would say more as of recently, I've kind of just like had a little bit of a spiritual awakening and I've come to terms with what occurred um, and I became saved and yeah. So that, now here we are. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Was there anything you like about scripture or faith or Christ or something that you go to if you ever feel sad again? Like, cause I've gone through some stuff myself, yeah. like that's a very intense and it can come back. It can sneak up on you. Like mm -hmm. you said, it's still with you. It's a part of you. Yeah. Is there a, a person, a book, a song, a verse that you turn to when you feel that way to help you cope? Yeah. I always turn to Psalms or I always... Um, the parable that really got me was the parable of the lost sheep when Jesus goes to chase after the one and kind of like 
I think it's just so amazing, like the love that God has for us, that he would write about us in the Bible in that manner. Um, and that he goes and chases down the one to bring him back and he rejoices and celebrates. And so I feel like that was a big part of like me getting saved. I was at church one day with my family and I did not want to go at all. <laughs> I was very visibly annoyed and I didn't even go inside the sanctuary. I like sat in like a, the welcome area. Protest. Yes. <laughs> with my arms <laughs> crossed and just kind of sat there. Um, and they were talking about the parable of the lost sheep. And I was like, just kind of like really like opened my eyes and started reading my Bible. And yeah, I got saved. That's amazing. I didn't even know that. I've, we know each other for a little while, but I didn't know that was part of your story. That's yeah. amazing. I feel like I don't talk about that too much because I feel like it's still an emotional part of me and it's still very new for me. I haven't talked about it much, even with my own family. So I feel like I try not to put too much negative stuff out there. I have to say though, I got to jump in there and tell you that that's going to help people though, hearing yes. that, that where you are today and where you were. And so many shows don't do that. It's fluff. Mm -mm. It's garbage. Mm -hmm. It's money driven. So for you to share that, uh, I thank you for that. Not a lot of people would do that yeah, off of the cuff. So that's going to help a lot. I think a lot of our listeners realize that you can still come back. I spoke to um, a community in, uh, I think it was Ludon, Virginia, uh, maybe two years ago. And so I briefly talked about that. And it was, it was actually interesting to see like how many moms with their daughters came up to me after and they were like, we would not expect that you went through that, like looking at you, like at all. Like you would think that you were so popular. When I tell you I had no friends, like in middle school, high school, um, you know, like I definitely like went through it. And so like, yeah, I feel like social media does definitely like fluff things for people and people like kind of feel like everyone else's life is perfect and theirs is falling apart, um, which would add on to what we were saying earlier about how toxic social media is. And social media was just coming out when I was like, Going through that. You were in high school. Yeah, I was about in college. I'm a little older than you. Yeah. But we were both students and so it was a it, weird era. It was, yeah, it was really weird. So in the midst of that, that probably didn't help much either. <laughs> it's funny you say that no one can tell what's underneath sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I want to share with you a quick story about what I went through. I survived cancer a couple different kinds, oh, wow. spinal and brain. And I'd have surgery like it felt like every two years something would happen. I broke my back in between. Like, oh my it gosh. never stopped. And my roommate looked at me once and he goes, when they told me, you got to come into the hospital, like you're going to have surgery again, like today. Mm. And he looked at me, I get ready to leave. And he said, how can you be so calm? And mm. I said, well, I can fall to pieces or I can trust in God. Mm -hmm. And later when we were at the drugstore, same roommate, I said to him, look at, look at me right now. You can't tell that I'm about to go to the hospital, can you? And he yeah. said, no. I said, take that as a lesson that no matter who you're next to, talking to, they may yell at you. Maybe you don't know what's going on mm -hmm. underneath it all. Underneath it's the true. photos, right? Underneath the, the nice true. clothes and the smiles. It can be sad. So it's amazing that you found a way to claw your way back and you're here and yeah. you're killing it. And I know you had a wisdom tooth out recently, so I'm sorry that you had to go through that. <laughs> but okay. other than that, yeah, that negative, you're still killing it on this uh, politics front. All right, all you Brace for Impact listeners, we're going to take a quick break, but we're coming right back with more from Isabella Maria DeLuca. Stay tuned. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Well, here we are back again, my friends. Thank you for sticking with us here at Brace for Impact. I'm your host, Nick Jeevis, and here now with some more enlightening thoughts. She's photogenic, a thinker, and wise beyond her years, the unstoppable Isabella Maria DeLuca. Let's take a listen. So this Trump indictment. Oh, my goodness. I know. I know. I got to bring it up because it's, <laughs> it's all over the place. And uh, I know we, we don't want to go into too much detail. But do you think that when people try to speak truth today, whether it be through faith, the way Trump does through politics and faith, that that is going to draw persecution? Or do you think this is more of a legal battle that's just being had because it's just politics, not that he's an existential threat? Mm -hmm. I mean, power? I feel like like any normal person, like thinking clearly cannot look at this and think that is it's not a political persecution. Um, and so I read a little bit about like the indictment and about Alvin Bragg, who's the DA. Um, and let me just start off by saying New York City is a disaster. Corrupt. Um, if you love your life and you want to keep living, do not visit New York City. Oh, I've, I've lived near it. It's not my... No, it's <laughs> I left, not. Uh, that's why I'm here. <laughs> I'm from Long Island, but I do not go into the city at all for that reason. And so um, I read something that 
Alvin Bragg, 52% of felonies were changed to misdemeanors. And so now you have like this rise of violent crime. Um, I think violent crime is up like over 18% in New York City. Rape is up 9%. And so like to bring our focus to hush money and it's not so much the hush money that I think is the problem. It's like, I think they said it was a misuse of campaign funds. Yeah. The reimbursement um, style. Which I think is going to be a little bit hard for them to, to prove. prove. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting because it was Obama who had to pay a $375,000 fine for campaign funds misuse. And he wasn't indicted. And um, Hillary Clinton spies on a presidential campaign. She deletes 33,000 emails and paid um, 113000 for a sealed dossier. And she wasn't indicted. How about her husband, Bill? Or there you go. Bill, that is never another indicted. fantastic example. So, I mean, I also like don't believe in like arresting your political opponents. That's not American. Uh, weaponizing the law to kind of get retribution on your political rivals is just a hallmark of a failed uh, state. And I believe that it's a catalyst for a rapidly escalating zero sum game for total control. And I think. People, it kind of scares me. Like when I watched, I saw a clip from The View and like Joy, Joy Behar was like, yeah, Trump's indicted. Like that's kind of like alarming for me to see because like they're not looking at the bigger picture of like what kind of precedent this says. Like we don't arrest like our political like rivals. Like that's what they do in China. That is so anti-American. So, I mean, we'll definitely see what comes of this, but I'm a little bit worried to be honest. I'm right there with you because uh, even if it was reversed or there was another third party and you didn't agree with it and they were persecuting, I would still I would be still like, be wait alarmed. a minute. Yeah, like, hold on a second. This is not how it's worked in the I'm past. I'm very shocked that they went through with it. I think, did you see Elon Musk commented on it saying that if they are to perp walk him or, you know, so so mm-hmm. to speak, he gets fingerprinted, that he's going to win in a landslide. Yeah. He's going to be the Nelson Mandela effect where he gets out of jail or he gets out yes. of the courtroom and he wins in a huge you know, massive victory. Do you think that was correct? I think that is correct. I think you have a lot of people who are on the fence and you still have people today that, you know, like even Republicans that don't want to vote for Trump because, oh, he's, he's loud or he's this. And so I think that you have these people that, or people in general, just who are on the fence that are, are going to look at this and be like, okay. So like the way that I look at it is like, do I want the guy who like, China, Russia, and Iran want, or do I want the guy that they're so desperate not to run for president that they're going to indict him and attempt to arrest him? Like, I think I'm going to go with that guy. They are their fear of him is driving Mm -hmm. me to say that he must be good for America. Yeah, and it's interesting because once Joe Biden won in 2020, I was like, great, finally, like. I'm going to miss Trump, but we're, like, not going to have to hear about, like, leftists, like, talking about him all the time. And honestly, they talk about him more than it they never did ended. he was president. It just, like, doesn't – they cannot stop ta- – he was such a threat to them that they just cannot stop talking about him. He was – from the minute he burst on the scene, he was a rule breaker. Mm-hmm. And I used to remember – I asked my dad, I think, when I was 9 or 10. Watch, I'd grown up with Bill Clinton, uh, George W. <laughs> Bush, and Obama. So I said to my dad one day, I said, Dad – are we ever going to get a president that doesn't just read the speech off of the teleprompter like he's a robot? Yeah. And my dad said, it's possible, but a lot of people are going to have to come together. And Trump is that guy. Mm -hmm. I've never seen a president not look at his notes or just go off the cut. People love him. Mm -hmm. So I don't understand why they think this is going to help, but it seems like an act. I agree with you. I think it's an act of desperation. Mm -hmm. They're so afraid that he can win again. And if he does, he won't make the same mistakes and they're just kind of yeah i mean they're just kind of making themselves look bad because you know they go on about this indictment and i mean like i said chances are it's going to be very hard to prove um they have to prove that he intentionally misused the campaign funds for this specific incident and i don't know tough to prove state of mind when you're reimbursing a campaign employee how can you prove that he knew and did it and again like you said there's so many hush money cases where it didn't go to you know, trial that mm-hmm. you could even see this maybe getting dismissed. I don't know. They're going to make a motion, it seems, to dismiss the case, but we're going to have to see how, where it goes. And the thing is, even if it's a misdemeanor, like you can still run for president oh, yeah. with a misdemeanor. Oh, definitely. So like, I'm not sure what the angle is here. Yeah, maybe they think that people have been so dumbed down that j- just enough headlines, if they blitz it with, oh, he's a criminal, he's mm-hmm. you know, broken the law. We were right the whole time. I remember I'd have to get up at 5.30 every morning at the Daily Caller and cover <laughs> Morning Joe. And when I'd cover Joe Scarborough, he would always be like, yeah, well, you know, I don't, I don't I think the Mueller case is what he has to worry about. It's that a Southern District in New York. So it's this like predestined narrative that they mm-hmm. always wanted the local New York people it's to true. pick him up, right? Yeah, yeah. So I feel like they just 
where's truth fall in all this now? Do you think the country is able to to come back to a place where we can trust media and politicians again? Or like, how do you, how does one even go about fixing this or helping? I was just having this conversation with someone yesterday and they were like, you know, I can't, I hope Trump wins and this will all be turned around. I'm like, listen, I hope Trump wins too, but this is not going to be turned around in like a four year term. Like this is going to take like a while. Like I did not think it was possible to be able to like put a country on absolute decline in such a short period of time at all. Um, and it's almost like if you were trying to like intentionally destroy a nation, this is probably how I would do it. I think it was Jefferson that said we wouldn't be destroyed from the outside, only from within. Lincoln, I think. Lincoln, even in one of the, the old school presidents. And I remember he, whoever said it, I remember when I heard it, I was thinking to myself, that's absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. And it looks like, as you were saying, that we have some politicians that want what China wants, that mm-hmm. want what Russia wants and not what we want. And you're right. I think that they've been planning this, the radicals that are coming in from the left for 50 to 100 years. This is generational. Mm -hmm. I remember professors in college that were in their 70s talking about the glory days of disrupting Mm -hmm. everything. And so this seems seems like it's been going on for quite a long time. I like your idea that it's a long game to come Mm -hmm. back. What advice would you give to young people, young women maybe especially, because you speak out a lot on women's issues, to keep they're cool and to cope until that pendulum starts to swing back in a more sane direction. I feel like for a while, and especially being in this political sphere and like, you know, you checking the news and you're going through social media and you're like seeing all these scary things happening. And, you know, even like my mom will like send me news stories sometimes. And I've had to tell her to just like kind of stop because it's so like <laughs> negative and it's so scary to look at. But I would say that my advice would honestly to be, to be grounded in your faith because I feel like that's the only thing that's keeping me like calm and at bay. When I look at all the stuff with like China and like all the stuff going on in the news and like the school shooting, like, yeah, it's like terrifying. And um, yeah, I feel like reading my Bible and praying and talking to God keeps me sane. Me too. I agree. I try to read it every day. I, I fail sometimes, but it's rare that I go uh, you know, four or five days without picking it up or mm-hmm. looking at it. And you mentioned the school shooting in Nashville. I know we wanted to talk a little bit about that as well. Did you notice the media coverage was highly slanted in the fact that it was trying to almost play apologist for the trans mm-hmm. side of the argument instead of focusing on the, the dead children and then gun control somehow became it? What are your thoughts on this, this insanity? I actually saw a post recently where someone was talking. I think it was Audrey Hale's like art school teacher. And she was saying how her paintings were whimsical and childlike. And I was like, really? Like, are we really trying to like make a case for this person? I saw the New York Times had apologized for using the wrong pronouns for this person. And in my head, I'm thinking like, if you're more concerned about like the pronouns of the person than these excretions that were targeted and slaughtered in a, in a hate crime, then to me, you're an evil person. Um, I think that it just goes to show, like, I think we have such a mental health crisis. Like, this Absolutely. is literally where we are, where people can take a shooting and be like, well, let's respect their pronouns. Yeah. And not focus on the fact that, like you said, there's a mental health crisis, not just of people going insane, but big pharma. Yep. There's a huge push to just put people on all kinds of pills. Mm-hmm. And we were, you and I were going to also talk about the idea of the gender reassignment surgeries. And mm-hmm. that these women are getting their breasts cut off. Some mm-hmm. young men are getting their uh, testicles taken off. It's just like, how can you let a child under 18, even someone that is in their early mm-hmm. 20s, make that decision and then smile and put a thumbs up with your doctor coat on next to them and say, come on, I'll charge you 10 grand exactly. for the next one. What are your thoughts on that industry and how does one grounded in their faith? fight back against something like that. Well, to touch back on the Audrey Hale thing, I'm curious to know that if she was on some sort of cross-sex hormones, if she was full of testosterone, because, you know, obviously studies show that testosterone makes you, an ing- has it has shown to have an increase in violence and specifically in females who are on it. I feel like doctors have a Hippocratic oath that they take to protect their patients and to care for patients. And like you said, when you're performing, um, you know, essentially like mutilation on children, I don't understand how you and your right mind can think that that's okay. The bottom line is that children cannot consent to medical treatments. And this is what they're trying to push. They're trying to push that children are able to consent 
They're telling them that, um, you know, this is the one problem you have. You have gender dysphoria and you were born in the wrong body. And this is the only cure. The only cure is that you can change your gender and, you know, you can go through all these surgeries and be on all these drugs and you're going to feel better. And that is not the case. Then they tell you that if you're not happy, that it's reversible. And it's a lie. It's not reversible. Your time is not reversible. Psychological, mental damage is not reversible at all. And, you know, the other thing is like, I don't know if you're familiar with the I Am Jazz TLC show. Jazz is a female. She's fully, she was a boy, transitioned to a female, fully went through all her surgeries and There was an episode recently that aired and she was sitting with her mom. And so her her entire transition has basically been televised for years. And um, she was sitting with her mom and her mom, she was telling her mom, like, I'm not happy. I never feel like myself and like kind of just like broken. And like, really, my heart does break for these children, because I also think we have a parenting crisis where you have parents that are like forcing it on their children. And so the same people that will tell you like maybe like a year ago that there's like, oh, there's no such thing as gender neutral toys. And like boys can play with dolls and girls can play with trucks. It's not true. Are the same people telling you that, oh, well, if your son wears a dress and he's a girl and he needs to transition. Yeah, he's OK with it. And you're like you said, you're letting a developing mind, which doesn't know societal norms, mm-hmm. or doesn't know what their body was built for. And I'm not saying there aren't people that aren't, that don't have a disease or an imbalance or that feel a certain way. But like you said, to completely throw everything out the window at five years old and mm-hmm. say, let's start cutting them up or even 10, 15, it sounds like it's a money machine. It feels like it's more about, it's money. Everything comes down to money. Yeah. And if they can charge exorbitant amounts to tell these people, I'll mutilate your child and they'll feel better. You're saying, and you're right, that their suicide rates among these patients are going up. Mm-hmm. I'm concerned that there's no body or no authority to address that, mm-hmm. to hold these doctors accountable. The AMA is completely political. Mm-hmm. Uh, no DAs will really step up and say this is a crime. They're mm-hmm. going to let people do it. I'm all for freedom, but this we're talking about minors here. Is there a way to – is it homeschooling? What's the answer, in your opinion, having been around the block a bit, to help this next generation coming up behind you and me not think that way or at least stay open? Well, like I said, I think it also comes down to just like this parenting crisis. Like, I mean, I see these parents like bringing their kids to drag shows and like bringing them in for like, and the thing, they'll tell you that like conversion therapy is evil, but then they'll like bring their kid for like gender affirming care. And they say it's like gender affirming care, but like what part of um, changing your entire gender and who God created you to be is affirming? Like what an affirming look like telling them that like, this is who God created you to be. You weren't wrong in the b- wrong body. I really think that it does start at like an educational level because it really is like the schools who are also pushing this as well. And, um, you know, you have schools and school psychologists who are pushing this on students and hiding gender transitions from parents and giving children. There was a story I read of a teacher in California, Jessica Tapia, who actually got fired, by the way. Uh, for refusing to hide gender transitions from parents. And um, the school was providing chest binders for 13-year-old girls um, using their pronouns. And obviously, this was something that was not disclosed to the parents. And so, you have teachers coming in trying to be the parent and trying to teach these children to think more like them, the teacher, than the parents. So, the more that I look at this, like if you ever look at the Libs of TikTok page, it's a a massive ad for homeschooling, basically. It is. That's a great way to put it. I never heard that put and that way. And I absolutely will be homeschooling my children. Me as well. I, I, I told my girlfriend that. I was like, listen, uh, you know, if we get married, we have kids. We're not sending them to public school. No. We're not going to some liberal Catholic school. Or and people think that school. they're, you know, that private school is also the answer. No. And maybe, but not, not really. Always. Not always. Yeah, no. You, you know, I got into this 19 years ago when I was 12 years old in seventh grade. Because what I was hearing at a Catholic grammar school from my teacher was completely opposite to the Bible and what my parents were teaching. And I was tall and outspoken. So I'd raise my <laughs> hand and be like, um, wait a minute. I, I, Jimmy Carter is not the best president we've ever had. What was this uh, propaganda? <laughs> so I remember back then, even then, he was trying to change the minds of my colleagues, mm-hmm. or not my colleagues, my fellow students mm-hmm. at the time. And you're right. There's an evil. It's a selfishness to think I'm right. No one else is. And mm-hmm. that gives me license to lie to parents to commit atrocities 
and to do whatever we want in the name of their truth. And it's hard because obviously you have a lot of parents that, especially now in this economy, have to work two jobs and yes. really don't have the option. No bandwidth. And it's hard because it's like sometimes like, especially if like you have kids who are like in kindergarten or pre-K or elementary school and aftercare, like sometimes these teachers are with your kids way more than they're with the parents. Yes. And I think that parents should really make an effort to homeschool one way or another. But I do understand like it's not. An option for everyone. So before we go to the lighter part of the episode to close it out, I want to quickly mention that I did a story when I was at Fox News about a parent union forming to combat teachers unions. And if anyone's listening and wants ideas on how to break the stranglehold locally <laughs> on their teachers and the, the conglomerate, please form a union. Go to come together as a group, as a block, uh, living next to each other. Mm-hmm. There's co-ops. or Like a homestead. The cooperative. Exactly. It's like the farms Homes, that used yeah. to work together and be like, we're all a cooperative. We're in this together. And I hope that that's what comes of it because homeschooling one-on-one is great. It sounds like a great way to, to change things. But mm-hmm. I would love it if your neighbor could say, I'll take Wednesday math. You take Thursday yeah, history. Yeah, exactly. They go around houses. Sounds so I think like that, a dream. Right? And it's the, I think it's becoming reality that the pendulum yeah. has swung so far to the insanity, the level mm-hmm. of crazy, that parents are willing to say, you know what? I am going to make time. Yeah. Or I'll take that job so my wife doesn't have to work or my husband doesn't and can stay home mm-hmm. to teach them about life. Absolutely. Well, this is a deep episode. So I like to end usually the episodes by asking uh, a couple you know, nicer questions. So let's let's start with the first one. The second one's easier, but the first one, what's one of the happier moments in your life that you remember recently that you were talking about holding on and faith and what's something that you can share with us that's special? When I say that, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? Honestly, I think that for me, um, you know, kind of having gone through such a rough patch and really, I really like struggled with it for like 10 years, even after the fact, um, I would say really reconnecting and growing relationships with my siblings. After that experience, I was very disconnected. I spent a lot of time in my room and not associating with people at all. So that also included my family. So I would say reconnecting with my family has definitely been um, the highlight recently of my life. Well, you made a tremendous comeback because I only knew a little bit about you and we traded some messages here and there, you mm-hmm. know, liked each other's posts or stuff. But I'm amazed because I see you here you know, in front of me now. I saw you the other day when you were in the studio for something else. And uh, uh, congratulations. Thank it seems you. like you've come back from something that was very difficult. And yeah. I know how that feels. So I mean, I can 100% say that Jesus saved me. And That's I don't awesome. really know awesome. how... I was going through life without him because now I feel like I need him all the time and I don't know how I would like I was I wouldn't be sitting here honestly today if I'm, it wasn't for him. I feel like I'm a completely right different person. So. I'm right there with you. They say in the end there are moments like you know when you're like all I have is Jesus. Yeah. And if even sometimes your family it's there's roadblocks or walls mm-hmm. up between you and Jesus is always there. He's Absolutely. always listening. So I like to my last question I usually like to ask my guests and we can wrap up. Do you have a favorite movie? I'm a big, I was a film critic for a long time. And I like to ask my my guests, what's your favorite movie or show or scene in a movie? Because film is so powerful. It can move people sometimes almost as much as scripture, yeah. depending on what movie. But do you ever have a favorite piece of media, song maybe, something mm-hmm. that you put on when you really need a laugh or to, um, to be moved? Okay. If I need like a good laugh and I need to watch like a TV show, I usually just put on The Office. There you go. All right. Love there is the a Office. show or a TV yeah. uh, the movie or show. <laughs> good. The Office is great. We definitely would not be able to come out today if they did something like that. To be a lot of shows. So fast. Right? Did you see Jennifer Aniston recently mentioned that Friends would never have been yes. aired today and Seinfeld and shows like it's that true. would... Even It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is very raw. It's like, have you ever heard of that show? No. They call it Seinfeld on crack. It ran on FX. <laughs> very funny. But today, oh, good luck making that Yeah, the left PC has canceled comedy 100%. I think that's given us an opportunity, though, to be more like the Joe Rogans of the world. We're mm-hmm. doing it right now. You and I have two yeah. mics and we're in a studio. And yeah. without that cancellation, I don't think we would have been given the opportunity to step up and speak. Exactly. So through pain, maybe that's the only way we can actually change Definitely. The, what's going on. But Isabella, it's been a pleasure having you. Thank you so much for coming in today. Uh, I hope that you can continue to give other young women hope on not just social media, but in your speeches. And do you have anything coming up or anything uh, in the future that we should look forward to or more just stay tuned and I keep an working, eye on your channels? I'm working on releasing a podcast. All right. Yeah. Nice. Surprise, so, surprise. You didn't tell me that I don't want to drop the name. I don't want to drop the name, but I have a very good setup. I have a good idea for it. So still working some details out, but stay tuned. Well, if you need a talkative uh, Greek-Irish uh, host who's been through a lot, please let you know. give me a call back and I'd be happy to join you. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be right back. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. 
you should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Wow. What a journey she's been through. And Isabella did not hold anything back there. And I really appreciated that. So big thank you to her for coming on and talking about some pretty tough topics, some of which are considered completely off limits and untouchable in certain circles. So good on her for standing and delivering and being honest. Because she hit on some very truthful points, but the main one that I found stood out was parenting. It begins with parents. They decide the example that is set for the child. They teach you how to act. They choose the school and their own level of involvement in the child's education. We tend to forget, too, that one day we're going to become much older. And it's these little children you see running around now, these little human beings and strollers that are going to run the country one day. Do we really want to open up this Pandora's box to them by giving them cell phones, giving them laptops, basically ingraining them into every part of the culture just because it's there? And then accidentally, they're exposed to some material and they're scarred for life? Just let five-year-olds attend drag shows, let the selfie rule over all other content? You, the listener, do you feel we're better off as a nation and a world since these sorts of policies became the norm? Because when I look out the window and I walk down the street or I see my little nephews or my cousins coming up through the ranks now, it doesn't seem to be helping. I'm thankful for my parents shielding me from certain things when I was too young to understand them. I appreciated my parents coming to school conferences, taking an interest in my grades, my future. You can have all the charter schools in the world, all the churches that you want, but if parents religious leaders and teachers are not leading together and on the same page, you discover people's evil nature comes out and their better angels are disregarded in favor of what seems to be a personal or a political bias. And children are such blank slates that when you insert that bias and you start to push it, and I mean push it hard, some of it's going to stick, whether it's true or not. I remember a story I did back when I was at Fox News was about a parent union forming to counterbalance this epic level of power we see held by teachers unions. And it's not just about how much government money that they can demand and negotiate for. It's not the level of benefits as much that bother me, even though sometimes they're off the charts for how much work they do. But if they want to get racy, raunchy material into a fourth or fifth grade classroom, there seems to be very little to stop it. There's a disconnect with reality here. We wonder why young people today are so overwhelmed, and the answer may be complex, but it's not difficult to see and identify. Internet everywhere, glued to a cell phone, and sometimes not by choice, by the nature of the school or the nature of how the parents act, that it's just normal to have the cell phone always in your hand, drugs on demand, legal and otherwise, pharmaceuticals and street drugs, along with a lowered expectation across the board. Some people argue that any generation that begins to age and is being displaced by younger people is always going to rail against any change or progress, so to speak. They just want things to go back to the way it was. I get that point of view, but no, that's not always true. I personally, I like the convenience of a cell phone. I like the ability to take an Uber or a Lyft if I'm in a rush to get somewhere. I like streaming movies and TV for enjoyment or for my work when I was a critic But if I was a developing child or teenager, I wouldn't be happy if I was being filled with antidepressants and benzodiazepines every time I felt sad, while also being slammed from every angle with media headlines and videos that want to make me anxious. They want to pluck that heartstring on me so that I'll click and their revenue goes up. So to end the show, I want to share a personal experience because believe it or not, despite the fact that I'm a bit older now, I've been where many of today's young people find themselves, and I had broken my back and spent quite a bit of time on opioid medication because of the complications before and after that, and I had nothing to do but read, watch TV, maybe play with the dog if the dog came to me, and rest while I healed. If I didn't have my family to catch me and to help me walk outside for the sunlight and the fresh air to actually play with the dog, 
to smile naturally, to put the phone down. It was a flip phone back then. <laughs> I had gone crazy. I'm not surprised that people today that are in their teenage years or their early 20s or even younger are incredibly depressed. It's when that dopamine hit wears off and you realize you're living in a fake digital world. It's even more depressing when you try to discuss it with your fellow students or in the classroom and you're hit with major backlash from the teachers or the other students because they've already been sucked into that routine. My advice for young people out there for what it's worth is you don't have to give up electronics and become Amish and pray 12 times a day. That's not what I'm saying. But if you have a choice between drama and comedy, maybe pick a comedy. If you have a choice to interact with someone in person versus being alone watching Netflix or using Zoom, maybe push yourself to go out where people are. If there are any type of religious services or concerts or music that soothes you, put that on or go to that instead of whipping out social media. I know it's easier said than done. I'm not the best at doing this either. We're all human. We're all going to slip. But the effects of being glued to our electronics is beginning to show. There's been a dip in our spirits because we're addicted. Almost all of us. I count myself too. We all use these things every single day. And when we stop, you can sense it in yourself. There's an itch. There's a desire to pick it up. And even if you don't realize you're doing it, it's almost like smoking cigarettes. You'd be amazed how thankful I was at one point that I could read a book still. That my mind wasn't rotted out or that my attention span wasn't destroyed. Because it might not have felt as exhilarating at first compared to putting on a YouTube video or a movie or a song. But when I laid my head down at the pillow at night, the nights that I read a book instead, I felt way more at peace than if I'd stared at screens for another three hours. I say to back off these things because eventually, a month, a day, a year, a decade, there will be some sort of reckoning. We're seeing it already with teen suicides, shootings, overdoses, and other headlines that constitute a pandemic of unprecedented proportions. So we're going to need our energy, our sense of humor, and faith in something bigger than ourselves when that arrives. So save that energy you might otherwise use on today's social media activities or focused on yourself. Bottle it whenever you can, because sooner or later, tomorrow, that day that everyone always put it off till tomorrow, tomorrow is going to finally come to your doorstep. And you definitely want to be prepared. So please follow the examples that Isabella laid out. She had some great tips, but above all, it was family and friends and interacting with people in the real world not the matrix. So my thanks once again to her for coming on and enunciating that point. And best of luck. I just missed this generation of so-called young people, quote unquote. I graduated back in 2016 from college, but I don't envy the position of young people today. I had a balance where there was kind of a split between flip phones and smartphones. There was a split between cable and the internet. Now it's just pure. There's no buffers. There's no glue in the middle to keep it balanced. And I don't know how I'd handle it. You know, texting homework assignments, shutting down everything in the middle of a eighth grade life to be told you're going home. Sure, it's fun at first, but four months in, when kids start having issues and you don't have any idea why, well, maybe it's because they weren't doing the right things. They got sucked in like the rest of us, but we're older. We can handle it a little better. Young people, they're blank canvases, and we really need to start treating that with more reverence, I think, in the future if we hope to have a, a prosperous nation going forward. So best of luck again to everyone out there listening, and please, take it to heart, because tomorrow's coming. Mm-hmm.